Turn with me to John 3. We're going to begin today talking about becoming the person and the leader that God made you to be. And we're going to do that by looking at Jesus' leadership example. And we're going to look at what a ministry that flows out of a fellowship with Jesus looks like. And how that can actually produce more than we ever could on our own. That's why it's critical that we start with John 3. So you can read with me in John 3.30. And this is John the Baptist speaking. And John the Baptist says, and John 3.30 says, I must decrease, he must increase. I must decrease, he must increase. If we're going to accomplish the ministry that God has for us, he has to be doing it through us. And I have to get out of the way. I have to decrease and let him increase through me. That's critical if we're going to see what Jesus wants in our ministry happen. So as we talk this morning, we're going to talk about three steps that are critical in this process. Number one is following Christ's leadership example. Okay, so we're going to have to follow Christ's leadership example if we're ever going to accomplish the ministry that he has for us. Second, we have to fellowship with him. Because if we're doing it in our own strength, we're never going to accomplish anything and we won't be able to follow his example. And the difference here between relationship and fellowship, I'll just clarify and I'm going to try and keep this going pretty quick. Your relationship is your connection to God. You've trusted him by faith, now you've been adopted into his family, you're his child, he's your father. So your relation to God is he's your father, you're his child, right? When you sin and make a mistake, you're still his child, he's still your father. When you ask forgiveness, you're still his child, he's still your father. Your fellowship with him is your intimacy with him, your interaction with him, your closeness to him. When you sin, there's a barrier in your fellowship, a hindrance, right? We've all felt that. I don't feel so close to God right now. When I confess it, 1 John 1, 9 says that he forgives me and cleanses me of all unrighteousness, So that fellowship is restored. So your relationship with Christ is strong and secure because he paid for it already and he did the work that you never could. Your fellowship with him every day is a choice. Am I going to choose to walk in intimate fellowship with my Savior today or am I going to choose to just do this whole thing on my own strength? Finally, that requires walking by faith, right? Because if I'm going to walk in fellowship with him, following his example, I have to do it by faith. Because it's impossible to do this in my own strength. So that's kind of the outline of what we're going to talk about today. Bear with me if we get going a little fast. As we get into this, I want you to know that if you get what we talk about today, you will have a successful ministry. There's no way you won't. Chris, if you get this stuff, there's no way you'll get to your deathbed someday and be a failure. It's impossible. If you follow Christ's example, fellowshipping with him daily, walking by faith, you cannot possibly get to the end of your life and not have accomplished what he has for you. So this is going to be critical that we start here, and this is a key issue for us to really grab onto. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's where it starts. Blanchard and Hodges, not our Hodges, but another Hodges, said there is one perfect leadership role model that you can trust, and his name is Jesus. That's why we have to start with his leadership example. And he is transforming you, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, his Holy Spirit is transforming you day by day into his likeness. So if you want to be a Christ-like leader that leads following his example, 
It really depends on the Holy Spirit day by day making you more and more like Christ. So leaders have to follow Christ. Jesus taught that all who serve him must follow him in John 12. And this is where it all starts. Am I going to follow him or not? Am I going to do it his way or my way? Who's in charge here? Is he Lord or not? Right? Can I say no to my Lord? No. I follow him. This is where it all starts. Am I going to follow Jesus? In chapter 1 on page 15, you can turn there if you want, there are two questions. And I just want you to think about these questions for a minute. If anything comes to mind, you can jot it down in the book. Page 15. As we think about following Jesus, I want to get our eyes on Jesus for a second. So think about what your favorite thing about Jesus is. Gosh, there are a lot of them, right? If any come to mind that you want to jot down, you can. But just get your mind focused on who it is that you're following as we start this talk. So what's your favorite thing about Jesus? Next, which of his leadership attributes do you admire most? There's so many, right? I mean, he's our perfect leadership example. His walk of humility, his authority. I mean, you could go on and on and on. But as we begin thinking about the example that we're following, which leadership attributes that he exhibited do you admire most? Now, with that picture in mind, remember that he's the one we're following. We have to follow him. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, said, Follow me as I follow Christ. So he followed Christ so that others could follow him. That's what a true leader does. Cameron, when you're serving, if you're following Christ, others can follow you. And by following you, they're following Christ because you're following Christ, right? The second you're not following Christ, what happens to all the people following you? It's not good, right? So you need to be following Christ if you're going to be the leader that God wants you to be. Now, he gave us his great commission, and he's the ultimate example of a leader. He gave us the greatest possible vision to pursue, set the greatest possible example of pursuing it, and then he called us to follow him and accomplish it. So, do you think the great commission is really possible in your lifetimes? The, the training center here, when we set the vision statement for it, the vision statement that we set is the great commission fulfilled. And I said that to somebody and they said, you can't use that as a vision statement. That won't happen in our lifetimes. And I said, what kind of attitude is this? Right? Jesus commanded us to do this. How dare we say, oh, we could never do that. So I want you to embrace this right now to say, yes, the Great Commission can be completed in our lifetimes. Jesus gave it to us not so that we could dispassionately follow him thinking it could never happen. We have more resources today, transportation, communication, the internet, you name it, than ever in the history of this world. We can do this in our lifetimes if we'll take him up and follow him. So what is the leadership example that he demonstrated for us? You can see an outline of this in Appendix D on page 295. These are some of the leadership characteristics that he portrayed for us. You're going to hear a lot of acronyms this week. We're going to try and put some of them up over here by the snacks so you see them. You'll see them in the back of your book as well. But these acronyms are designed to help you remember some of these things and know what it is that you're shooting at. I'm going to share two of them with you in this talk this morning. But the first one is the leadership acronym, and it describes Christ's leadership example. 
compelled, Christ-led with his lifestyle. A leader's life has to match their words. It has to match what they're calling people to follow. If we don't live what we're preaching, we're not going to be a leader at all. That requires that we live as an example. Sometimes as a leader, you're going to feel like everybody is always watching you. And that's not a bad thing. (laughs) Warm up to that and realize that as I follow God, people will follow me. And that means I have to be an example. It means I have to take action. If I'm not taking action, I'm not a leader, right? If I'm just passively waiting for others to take action, I'm following their lead. A leader takes action, doesn't just wait. Once one of our students came to me and said, we have a big problem in our ministry. It's not loving enough. It's not loving enough. It's not loving enough. We need to be more loving. And I said, what are you doing to love people? (laughs) Silence. Okay, leader doesn't just sit around saying there's a problem. Why why isn't it getting fixed? Come on. A leader says, I'm going to take action. That requires direction. A leader has to set the direction and communicate that well. Now, there's not a lot of flexibility here for you because Jesus has already given you the main direction, the Great Commission. But as a leader, you have to be able to articulate that for those you lead and show them how to get there. How are we going to do this? It's important that you lead with expertise. And I don't mean that you have to be the smartest person that you know. I'm just saying, one, you need to know God's word. Two, you need to know the ministry that he's called you to lead. So grow in ministry. Always be learning. Howard Hendricks said, stop learning today and you'll stop leading tomorrow. So continue to grow till the day you die. Don't look at the bottom part of your life as the prep time for the second half. See every year, every month as the preparation time for the next. Because God is calling you to things that if you're not ready for them, you'll be toast. So keep growing in expertise. That also lends a lot to your credibility when people know they can come to you and talk to you and you're going to have some answers. Don't let that get to your pride or anything like that. Okay, R, lead with relationships. Jesus led with love. He led relationally. Just look at the example he portrayed with his own disciples. That worked out, that love worked out in what he said he came to do, to serve, not to be served. So leaders must serve. This is probably the biggest New Testament attribute of leadership, is service. In fact, Jesus defined leadership as being a servant. Okay, habits. What are your habits like? Leaders have solid habits that others can follow. If you can't get out of bed, and you never have time with God, and yada, 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 your habits are very poor, and you need to grow good habits that will match the leadership that you need to be giving to others and the ministry that you need to lead. Okay, I, initiative. What do you call a leader that doesn't take the initiative? A follower, right, Mark? Right? We need to be taking the initiative. It's kind of going back to this whole action point, but it's so important that you're a self-starter as a leader. You cannot be waiting for other things in your environment to motivate you. You have to be motivated internally. Okay, finally, P. Leaders propagate. And a leader multiplies everything that they do. A leader doesn't do anything just for what's happening today. Does that make sense? 
A leader doesn't lead an event thinking, well, as soon as the event's done, it's over. A leader should always be multiplication focused. Everything we're doing, we're doing to set up multiplication. When we lead events, this event, Chris is a student. Chris, can I use you as an example? I said, Chris, I want you to do a talk at this conference. Not just because I thought nobody else could do it. I want Chris to get the opportunities he needs to become a multiplier that will multiply until the day he dies. Right? Set everything you do up as a leader to multiply. All right. Leaders must fellowship with Jesus. So they must follow his leadership example. They also must fellowship with him. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do as much as you want. No, nothing, right? Apart from him, we can do nothing. So it's critical that we not try to do this apart from him. Oswald Chambers said, The bearing of fruit is always shown in Scripture to be the visible result of an intimate relationship with Jesus. Isn't that true? Always in Scripture. Do you remember the story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10, 38-42? Martha was doing all that needed to be done, but Mary was doing what? The one thing that was needed, Jesus said. Spending time with her Savior. Spending time with Jesus fellowshipping with him. There's a lot that needs to be done in ministry. But if you get away from the one thing that's needed, you've lost it all. Andrew Murray, one of my favorite authors, puts it this way. Is it not true that our work often comes between us and Jesus? He says, what folly. Sad thought that the bearing of fruit should separate the branch from the vine. Again, is it not true that our work often comes between us and Jesus? What folly. Sad thought that the bearing of fruit should separate the branch from the vine. It's imperative that we do what we do, following him out of fellowship with him, enjoying him, knowing him, loving him, growing closer to him. Now here are a few ways that you can do this. You can serve in the power of the Holy Spirit. Alright, I'm going to give you another acronym. Are you taking notes? If so, write this one down. How can you be filled and empowered with His Holy Spirit? The second you put your trust in Christ, you are indwelt with His Spirit, Scripture says. But you can choose each day to do things in your own power or in His power. That's a choice we all make every single day. And if you're not consciously making the choice, you are unconsciously choosing to do it in your own strength. So here's how you can remember how you can daily choose to be filled with His power. He present yourself to Him, allowing Him to use you how He wants. So present yourself to Him, surrendering to Him. This is what we hear about in Romans 12, 1 through 2. Surrendering your life as a living sacrifice. You're dying to yourself saying, you do it your way, not my way. Okay, oh, own up to any sin. Confessing it to, sin, to him. If I'm walking in my own sin, choosing to keep it in, I'm not going to be walking in this fellowship with him. Scripture says that. And I won't experience his power in my life. Okay, W, want to live a Christ-like life. If I don't desire to do what he wants, if I don't desire to be empowered for his purposes, not mine, his purposes aren't going to happen. 
And I'm not going to be empowered to do what I want to do. Right? So it sometimes gets to that simple level, what do I desire? Do I really want Christ to work in my life? Remember a time in Romania where I get into a taxi cab and we were leading a big team. At that time, there were over 30 people in the country, 20 on our team, and we met with a team of 12 from Texas. And I was overseeing all of it. And that year, some of you remember, I happened to be having the worst headaches 24-7, seven days a week, I mean just nonstop, every day, and almost unbearable headaches to the point where I almost couldn't talk. If God ever showed up and led through me, it was that trip because I felt like physically I could not handle it. It was unbearable. So I go down to the, to the grocery, not grocery store, but the market area to get some groceries for our team. And I'm driving back with all these groceries. I get in a taxi cab and I'm thinking, I am not sharing Christ with this guy because I just, my head hurts so bad. I just want to take 10 minutes and relax. And I speak Romanian fluently, so I could get into a conversation with him if I wanted so finally, I realized um, I need to want to do what Christ wants me to do here. And so I just started transitioning to a conversation about Christ. You'll learn how to do that this week. And we ended up spending about 45 minutes in the car, and he turned off his meter. So he wasn't just trying to milk the American for all the money he was worth. And he ended up praying to receive Christ right there in his taxi cab that morning. I thank God that God changed my desire. But if I would have held on to my desire, I don't want to share my faith, that never would have happened. I had to want him to come through in my life. My desire had to get in line with his desire. Just a note on that, when you find that your desires aren't in line with his desires, ask him to change your heart, and you'll see that he will, often. All right, so want to live a Christ-like, spirit-filled, and empowered life. E, this is critical, experience his filling and power, claiming it by faith alone. You don't have to jump through so many spiritual hoops for him to empower you with his spirit. You simply come to him, having presented yourself, surrendering to him, having confessed any sin, wanting to live a Christ-like life, and then saying, I'm ready, I'm here. Fill me with your spirit. Empower me to do your will. Simply experience that filling, claiming it by faith alone. Then R, this is where it's critical, Rely on Him. So take a step of faith, trusting that He's filling you, trusting Him to come through in your life, and take a step of faith where He has to come through. So rely on Him, and then watch Him do it. Like Mark, he'll tell you this week about a time that he relied on God, and the Holy Spirit came through in an incredible way in his life. All right, here's another way that you can fellowship with Him. You can choose daily... To walk with Christ on the throne. Okay? So, walking with Christ on the throne, I'm going to do a very, very short version of this. We'll come back to it many times this week. Kind of incorporates everything that we just talked about. So, before you knew Christ, here's Angie Pratt over here. She has big self, Angie, on the throne. Angie's running this life, right? And here's Christ outside of Angie's life, knocking on the door like he says he does in Revelation 3. But Angie is so focused on her own deal, right Angie? She's not even thinking about Christ. Or maybe she prays occasionally, maybe she goes to church occasionally, maybe she reads her Bible occasionally, but she's never surrendered to Christ and allowed him to come into her life, right? So this life is full of chaos. It doesn't mean that she's making bad grades or she doesn't have any money. She might be rich and smart and everything else. 
But ultimately, when it comes to life's existential questions, who am I? How did I get here? Where am I going? How should I live? She has no answers to any of those things. She has no relationship with God, no fellowship with God. Okay? Now, there comes a day when Jesus made himself known to Angie, and she chose to put her faith in Jesus Christ. Right, Angie? Okay, when did that happen? Okay, so she put her faith in Christ. And at that moment, Christ came on the throne, right? When you put your faith in Christ, you, you're truly saying, I need you, and I surrender to you. Come into my life, forgive my sins, and be my Savior and Lord. So he's on the throne right there from the start. And you are not on the throne. Angie is not on the throne. So Christ starts to uh, produce the fruit of the Spirit in her life. He starts to produce joy. She has a relationship with God. She also has fellowship with God. She's bursting with excitement about this new relationship she has with Jesus. It's wonderful. And, uh, and it's always been the same since, right? No? Okay. No, it hasn't always been the same since. Because sometimes Angie pretends like she's that old person that she used to be. Okay? She um, gets back on the throne, tries to call her own shots. Now, Christ doesn't leave her life, right? He promises us that he holds us in his hand in John 10, and uh, that nobody can snatch us out of his hand. And you're somebody, so uh, you, you qualify for his exemption there. Uh, additionally, in Romans 8, he says nothing's going to separate you from his love. So here he is in your life, but all of a sudden your life looks just like it did before, right? It's full of sin, it's full of chaos. You start to doubt your own salvation. Am I really saved? Blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm not even looking at scripture anymore to see what it says. I'm just asking my own questions. I feel just like this guy. In fact, I might feel worse than this guy. Why is that? Yeah, the Holy Spirit is in your life reminding you of the truth and convicting you of sin. <laughs> so this, this feels horrible. You might think, man, I'm the worst person that's ever lived. Okay, I get from here to here by doing what? Yeah, sin, right? It's whenever I choose to do my own thing, not his thing. Right? Now... How do I get from here back to here? Go to church, right? No. Okay. I mentioned it earlier. 1 John 1 9. I simply confess that sin to him, asking him to forgive me, to cleanse me of all unrighteousness, and to take his place back on the throne of my life to do his will through me. So as you walk in the power of his Holy Spirit, every day is a lifestyle. Choose to be doing a throne check. Russ says every 15 minutes. Sometimes it might need to be more than that. Sometimes it'll be less than that. But we should be cultivating a lifestyle of constantly asking him to be on the throne of our lives. Constantly allowing him to take his place. Additionally, how else do I fellowship with God in ministry? Through his word. I have to be getting in his word on a daily basis. If I'm not... I'm just doing this all from my own mind, all from my own ideas, which aren't all that special. Next, I fellowship with him through prayer. As I get into prayer every day, seeking him in prayer, my heart gets changed to be more like his heart. And I see him coming through in my life and ministry. You could put both of these into another one, it's kind of separate because you can be doing this throughout the day. You can be meditating on Scripture throughout the day. You should be praying continually like we're told in 1 Thessalonians 5. But it should also begin every day when you wake up with a quiet time, right? 
So schedule time as a leader for that daily time with Jesus. To be starting off in fellowship with him. All right. On that note, you remember Moses. He goes up to Sinai. Receives the Ten Commandments. Spends 40 days with God. Comes back and what's Israel doing? They're the laughing stock of the nations. Building golden calves and worshiping idols. Moses punishes them partly in the flesh, partly according to God's will. And then what does he do after that? What would you do as a leader if you left for 40 days and you come back and the people that are following you are out of their minds crazy? What would be your thought? I'm never leaving again. (laughs) So what does Moses do? He leaves for 40 more days to spend more time with God. He knew, I have to be in fellowship with God to lead these people. I can't possibly do it on my own. You all know of the Veggie Tales kids shows, right? They're great. They're pretty big deal. They were created by Phil Vischer. You know he got sued and lost the entire company. Did you hear that? No. It's incredible, right? Got sued, lost the whole company. And he summarized what we're talking about today very well. He's gone on to some new things which are really awesome, like what's in the Bible. Have you seen those? They're incredible. Our kids love them. But he's gone on to do some new things, but with a different perspective on his own ministry. He said that when he created VeggieTales, he was trying with everything in him to have an impact and to make an impact. His whole focus was on what can I do for God, not how can I be in fellowship with God. And he put it this way. He said the impact that God has planned for us does not occur when we are pursuing impact. It occurs when we are pursuing God. Isn't that good? The impact that God has planned for us does not occur when we are pursuing impact. It occurs when we are pursuing God. It's critical that I be fellowshipping with Him, following Him, pursuing Him, if I'm to have the Great Commission impact that He has planned for me. That requires that I walk by faith. Tozer puts it this way. The faith of Christ will command or it will have nothing to do with a man. The only man who can be sure that he has true Bible faith is the one who has put himself in a position where he cannot go back. Pseudo-faith always arranges a way out to serve in case God fails it. Real faith knows only one way. For true faith, it's either God or total collapse. It's stepping out saying, if you don't show up, God, I'm dead. And then trusting him to come through. This is why Paul told the Corinthians that we walk by faith, not by sight. It is critical that we walk by faith and not by sight. Because if we're walking by sight, we won't accomplish the ministry that God is calling us to accomplish. We have to walk by faith. Now, this is where it gets really, really important. What do you have to do to get more faith? You can't. You can't get more faith. That's the short answer. In Romans 12.3, Scripture tells us that each of you have been given a measure of faith. Right? Jesus told us in Matthew 17.20 that faith, like a mustard seed, could move mountains. So it doesn't matter what measure you've been given. It's enough. The bottom line is you can't get more faith. In fact, five verses before Jesus said faith like a mustard seed can move mountains, his disciples asked him for more faith, and Jesus reprimanded them for asking for more faith, saying faith like a mustard seed could move mountains. 
But what did he also say about mustard seeds? You remember this? In Matthew 13, four chapters later, he talked about how they grow from this small seed into this incredible plant. The disciples knew that when he talked about faith like a mustard seed, that a mustard seed grows. And we actually see this principle in Scripture. In 2 Corinthians 10, remember, five chapters before this, Paul is telling the Corinthians to walk by faith. In chapter 10, he tells them that their faith needs to grow. He says the same thing to the Thessalonians in chapter 1, that it needs to grow more and more, he says to the Thessalonians. And finally, James tells us in chapter 2, verse 22, that our faith needs to be made complete by what we do. We're putting it into practice, making it complete, growing it to what it needs to be. Does that make sense? So how does your faith grow? This is critical, because you're not going to get more faith, but you should grow your faith. It's like your muscles. You're not going to get more muscles, but you should grow them so they will be stronger. Well, here are a couple simple ways that you can grow your faith. First of all, it's important that you're faithful with little for the sake of the little. We'll get to that again in a minute. But I just want that to be the overriding thing as we get into this. Faithful with little. There are little things that if you're not faithful with, your faith will not grow. Here's the first little thing. I mentioned it over here. Scripture tells us, one, that faith comes through God's word. So if I want to grow my faith, I have to be getting in his word. I've discipled guys before that say, I have so much doubt. I have so much doubt. I have so much doubt. Well, are you getting in God's word? No, I figure I shouldn't read God's word if I have all this doubt. <laughs> if we get in his word, maybe the doubt won't be what it is right now. <laughs> right? Okay. So I've got to get in God's word if I'm going to grow my faith. That's critical. Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith comes from God's word. Second, and I'm coming back to the context for this, I have to be faithful with little. Luke 16.10 says that if we're faithful with little, we'll be made faithful with more. And if we're, not made, if we're not faithful with little, we won't be made faithful with more. So it's critical that I take what I'm learning in God's Word and put it into practice being faithful with it. And not just with what I read in God's Word, but with everything that I'm asked to do. To do it as unto the Lord, not as unto men. Being faithful with little for the sake of the little, not with ulterior motives to just get to the next big thing. Jen, you're a great example of this with our kids. I mean, Jen leads our, our children's ministry at the church, and the way she pours her life into the kids is just unparalleled. And I feel blessed by it all the time. I never get the sense that Jen thinks, man, if I do a good job here, I'll get a promotion. <laughs> or something like that. She pours every bit of herself into those kids and into the leaders that lead those kids. Okay, so be faithful with little for the sake of the little. Okay, finally, grow your faith by attempting great things for God. It's good to be faithful with little, but you should also grow your faith by attempting great things for God. When we decided to trust God to raise a million dollars for this place... I often tell people, it was the scariest night of my life. I was almost shaking when the board said, go for it. Russ and I presented it to the board, and then I was like, oh, this is crazy, dude. And I even told Dave Pearson, I drove home with Dave Pearson, this is insanity. But when God did it, our faith grew. Right? We could trust him for things like that again in the future. Okay, Spurgeon summarizes all of this saying, 
Our work especially requires faith. If we fail in faith, we had better not have undertaken it. And unless we obtain faith commensurate with the service, we shall soon grow weary of it. It is proven by all observation that success in the Lord's service is very generally in proportion to faith. It certainly is not in proportion to ability, nor does it always run parallel with a display of zeal. But it is invariably according to the measure of faith, for this is the law of the kingdom without exception. So if you will follow Christ's lifestyle, life example and leadership example, fellowshipping with him daily in the power of his spirit, walking by faith in all that he calls you to, you cannot possibly fail in ministry. It is impossible. You will accomplish what he has for you, and you'll see the Great Commission accomplished all around you. So here's my challenge as we conclude. Godly leaders must follow his leadership example. So which of these characteristics do you want God to develop more in your life? Think about it for a second and choose today to allow him to lead in that area. Next, godly leaders must lead from a context of fellowship with Jesus, walking in the power of his spirit. So think about what it means to walk in fellowship with Jesus and evaluate your own life. How do you need to grow closer to Jesus right now? I know in my mind I have a list of areas that I'm checking things off the list rather than pursuing them wholeheartedly. So I want to get that out of my life and pursue them wholeheartedly. And with kids, it's really hard to own my quiet times. Before kids, I have hours with God in the morning a lot of times. With kids, you wake up, boom, they're awake. It, it can be very difficult. So how do I really own my times with God and make them all that they can be? Okay, finally, godly leaders have to walk by faith. So... Think about it. What do you need to get into his word and grow in in his word? How do you need to be faithful with little for the sake of little? Think of something right now that you've been entrusted with and choose to do it wholeheartedly for him. And finally, think of a great thing that you want to trust God for, not just ad hoc. Remember when Elijah called down fire from heaven? He didn't just do it because he thought, man, wouldn't that be cool if we did that? He says there, let him know that I've done these things at your command. So think about what God's calling you to, something that's bigger than you could ever do on your own, and trust him to accomplish what he's calling you to do in his power, his way, and his time.